I knew this morning it was going to be a good day in the house of God because um, I was going to be able to do one of the things I love to do the most, and that is to introduce to introduce somebody you love to someone else that you love, <laughs> to introduce uh, our beloved CLC family uh, to our beloved friend Rob Chifacoyo. Um, we had the privilege of meeting Rob ten, about 10 years ago on a mission trip to Zimbabwe. Uh, and at the time, Rob impressed us because he was ministering to street children. But not only that, he had galvanized a group of young people and founded an organization called Dare to Serve. Uh, before it was fashionable to be discontented with church if you were young, uh, Rob gathered a bunch of young people who felt kind of estranged by the church. They wanted to see the church live large. Uh, and they lived large. Uh, we called him uh, Flash Mob Rob because he would text, and all of a sudden, a mob of youth would appear at a point of need, whether it was in a pensioner home or whether it was with orphan children who were literally being fed uh, as they were on the streets having some laundry done for them and tutored in a school. Rob was initiating that. Uh, and we were so impressed. And then we discovered that Rob was on the list of uh, 30 top leaders who were under the age of 30 in Zimbabwe. So we had not so much discovered him as we had just met someone who had that mantle. Uh, and as Rob's going to share with you through a series of events, one of the great blessings and really a high water mark, I think, of my 34 years in ministry was seeing Rob uh, come to Bucks County, Pennsylvania through a very supernatural chain of events uh, and begin to unleash uh, a Holy Spirit connection with Jesus that was evidenced in teenagers. Uh, you know, teenagers are great baloney detectors. <laughs> uh, and we sent Rob on a retreat, and I'll never forget it. So many youth came back with stories of, for the first time, committing their life to Jesus Christ as Lord, that we had a baptismal service out of that, that they were just lined up across the stage within the immersion tank, stories of transformed life that Rob had a supporting role in, and then those teens yielding their life to Jesus Christ. So I know they usually say lower expectations, but I don't have to do that this morning. And I want you to just give a big family welcome uh, to our guest speaker, Rob Chifacoyle. Wow, good morning, how are you guys doing? Wow, this is such a blessing. And um, even as uh, Bob was sharing, all those memories start flooding back of just how awesome God is. Even as we were worshiping, um, I, I, I had a moment where I was thinking to myself, uh, I'm standing in this amazing church, and uh, I'm standing in front of it, and I was like, Lord, you weave uh, so many journeys in unexpected ways, uh, and you're in, in control. How could we ever doubt that you're in control? I was just overwhelmed uh, with just joy. As we were saying, it's your breath in our lungs, knowing that for me and for you, if you call on the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior, it is truly his breath in our lungs. And so uh, I'm just, I'm, ex I'm excited to be here. I'm, like Bob said, um, I met him uh, 10 years ago in Africa, uh, like under a tree. And uh, he came, he brought some missionaries over, and uh, it was a missions team. So they, they were dressed like American missionaries in Africa. It was like, yo, you know, some, you know, some Crocs and socks and Birkenstocks. So uh, we were there, 
And uh, I remember Bob was like, hey, listen, man, um, come to, when you come to the U.S., you need to visit us in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And I have to be honest, there isn't a billboard in, in Zimbabwe that says Doylestown, visit this place where dreams are made. You know, we didn't know where Doylestown was. Um, but I came anyway, and I just wanted to say this, out of the many stories I can tell about, about how I met Bob and just how, and Liz and how they had us in, a, in their house during that trip and the amazing food that I ate because it was like legit Italian food, so I was like so blessed. But the one thing was when I came, Bob took, took me on a hike. All right, you took me on a hike, and I don't know. Like, listen, let me just say this. If an African visits you in the U.S., the last place they want to be is outdoors, okay? They, <laughs> right? You know, I was like, you know, I, I mean, there's a picture of it, and uh, Bob is so happy to be at the top of that place. But I can say that if you look at my face, the, in, in Hebrew, it means, please take me to McDonald's or a mall. <laughs> Like, why would we be outdoors, you know what I mean? Why would we be on Pride Rock in America? Why would I do that? So anyway, um, just an awesome, awesome way of like that meeting uh, so many years ago, coming here and seeing how the Lord just brought us together and how God was working something in that and how some insignificant meetings that we have in our lives, sometimes it can feel like we just bumped into someone and yet God is writing a story. He's writing a great story in that. And um, it can be the most unexpected people. The most unexpected people. And so I am so thankful this morning to, to be in front of you sharing God's word. I, I wanna say this before I start. And um, you know, understanding God's word is critical. Um, in the time that we live in, just knowing and deepening our faith and living it out, is one part of it, but, but just diving into God's word and truly understanding the character of God is so important. Because once we understand who God says he is, not who someone else says he is, but who God says he is, as per his word, his character, his nature, we start to walk in the plans and the purposes that God has for us. We start to live the life that God has for us. And the story that I have this, this morning that we're gonna dive into, I wanna preface it by this, by telling you and letting you know that as a, a guy from Zimbabwe, we are storytellers. That's how it is back there. You know, it's with storytellers and um, just be forewarned. I get excited when I preach, so don't get shocked. But the reality is, even though we tell our stories. The Bible says, let the redeemed tell their story. That in our story, it isn't really a story about us, but it is a story about him. It is a story of the goodness and greatness of God. So I just want to dive into that this, um, this morning. If you have your Bibles, we could turn to uh, John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and uh, we're going to read. We're going to start reading here from verse 1, from verse 1. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death 
No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. I want to start this morning by us looking at this story about the, the death of Lazarus, the sick, the illness that Lazarus uh, went through. But I, I, spoiler alert, I'll just let you know, if you've never been to church before, Lazarus dies. So after those first six verses that we just read, we, we understand that Lazarus at some point in this story, he does die. And so when I was looking at the story and praying and, 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 and looking at what we're going to be talking about this morning and what God has laid on my heart to share, I, I was reminded of something, that this story says a lot about Jesus' character. It says a lot about us, and it says a lot about what it looks like to walk and live in an in a, in a, in a intimate relationship with Jesus. It deepens our faith. It broadens our understanding. Um, you know, it, when I was growing up in Zimbabwe, I'll say this, when I was growing up in Zimbabwe, when I was about five, five years old, my mom came back from the, from the UK. She went to England and she came back with a Karate Kid videotape. I'm, I don't know if you remember, if you're in here and you're too young to remember a VHS videotape, I think there'll be people praying for you afterwards. But there was this thing and it was before DVD, it was before Netflix, it was before streaming. It was a VHS videotape and we popped in. It was the only videotape tape we had and I learned how to speak most of my English words when I was little came from the karate kid so we're there in Zimbabwe going you know sweep the leg sweep the leg like we have no idea what New Jersey means we have no idea Daniel LaRusso so here's the deal when we watch when we would watch the karate kid we just fast forwarded to the fight scenes we're just like, we, we don't really care about the story because we don't really understand English. We just want to see people getting beaten up. And so, you know, years later, years later, this movie that I loved growing up, years later, I, I was over here in the States and it was on some, some, some TV network that shows old movies. And, and, I'm, and I'm watching and I'm like, I was just struck by the Karate Kid is a really cool story. It's an amazing story. There's a love story in there. Now that I could understand English, I could understand there was a love story. It was a story about a boy who was living with a single mom and they moved to California and then the janitor kind of became a father figure and there was some messed up things in the story as well that the janitor was actually beating up high school kids. So there's a problem with that. But, but the story was, was bigger than just the fight scenes. And, and I'm saying this with God's word that maybe you've heard the story of Lazarus. And maybe the story of Lazarus, when you, when you, when you read it, was just about a guy who, who died and was brought back to life. But as we read it this morning, I want you to, to read it as we understand the language of God. That the story is saying so much more. And we deepen our faith. And we find that in this story, Jesus is working something. He is pronouncing something. He is making something clear. I have a couple of points, and the first one is this. That knowing Jesus doesn't mean everything in our lives is going to be rosy from that point on. Oftentimes, I, I find people 
who are wrestling with their faith and they're, and, they're, and they're trying to figure out like, man, like I thought this Jesus thing was gonna work to my benefit. I, I thought that because I said yes to Jesus on that youth retreat or at that church service or at that Chris Tomlin concert, that from that point on, everything in my life was gonna start to work out perfectly in this world. But the reality is that as we look at this story, it, it, it clearly shows us that our intimate relationship with Jesus and knowing Jesus doesn't mean that everything in this life is gonna go perfect. It doesn't mean that we, we won't go through difficult times. In fact, John 16, says this. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But he doesn't end there, there's a period, but he doesn't end there, he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says, in this world we will have trouble. And nothing says this louder than this story. That when we look at the characters in this story, when we look at the first few verses in this story, we find that Jesus loves Lazarus. And Lazarus is sick. And the reason why I read through those six verses to get to the part, because I want to show you that in those first six verses, there, there are a few things happening. Jesus loves Lazarus. He finds out that Lazarus is sick. And Jesus stays where he was two more days. And oftentimes, I think, in, in our understanding of love, Our understanding of love is that no matter what would happen in our lives, that if Jesus was to find out that there was something dire happening in our lives, that he would drop everything that he was doing and he would run to us. But we find in the story that Jesus stayed where he was two more days, even though he knew that Lazarus was sick and he loved him. You might be right now in this room questioning whether or not Jesus loves you because it has been a lengthy time that you have been in the trial that you're in. This morning, I want to encourage you to look back at Lazarus. Jesus loved him. Jesus loved Lazarus' sisters. And yet Jesus waited where he was two more days. Jesus' love is not necessarily reflected. In fact, I can say it isn't reflected by whether or not the things in our lives are going well. It is reflected in the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus to start with. And so we find here that there are two things here that that are dismantled. Jesus loves Lazarus, but Lazarus is sick. Jesus stays. And another thing that we find here is that it doesn't say that Lazarus did anything to earn Jesus' love. There wasn't anything in the story that was like, you know, Lazarus was a great guy, or Lazarus, you know, Lazarus was the best guy at making fish tacos, and so Jesus just loved this guy, or Lazarus was faithful, or Lazarus, it doesn't say anything about Lazarus, it just says that Jesus loved him. And that's the truth about who we are. I think the thing that we also have to disconnect as we understand how it is to walk with Jesus and understand his love and to walk with Jesus in times of trouble and to establish our faith so solid that no matter what comes our way, we will not be shaken, we will stand firm. Jesus will be fundamental and not ornamental. We don't move him around, we stay faithful. For us to be in that place, we have to understand the love of God is something that we did not earn. 
all of us in this room were sinners in need of his grace. That on the cross, Jesus wasn't looking at some of us and going, you just need a little sprinkling of my blood. But over there, that guy needs a gallon. (laughs) We were all in need. All fallen short. All deserving of the wrath of God. And yet Jesus says, I love you. You are mine. In Isaiah 43, I love that God says, you belong to me. You're mine. I love you, I have redeemed you, and you have done nothing to deserve it. I always feel on my heart as I'm saying that, that there are people in the room running away from God. I've run away from God saying, God, I messed up, Lord, I'm not good enough, and and I'm running away from his love, like Adam and Eve trying to hide from God as though that were possible, right? The psalmist would say, that is the dumbest thing you could try. And yet we're running from God because we think that we've lost the love that because somehow we, earn, we didn't earn it. We're children by grace and by grace alone. Amen. You know, I, I have two daughters. I have two daughters, that are, they're eight and four. And, and my oldest, you know, I have to ask her for permission now to use her in sermon illustrations. Like, I don't like that, you know, you like, you, check with me. She says that all the time. So I, I'll ch- I check with her so I can share this. And, and I remember my daughter, I talk about her all the time in sermons. At, and I remember I was at, at, at church at, at, in, the old, in, in our building there in Doylestown. And, and someone was like, you always talk about your daughter. Where is she? And at that moment, it was the perfect timing. I was, I was like, oh, she was coming up from Children's Church. And, and I was like, there she is. And, and as I was pointing at my daughter, it was almost like in slow motion. As I was pointing at my daughter, her little finger was making its way up her nostril. And as I was, I was like, I, was like, I knew what was happening and I couldn't stop it. And, and I was like pointing at her. And, and, and as I pointed and said, that's her, she was in there just digging. And I, I, I couldn't even switch kids. I couldn't say that's not her. All the kids were white. I was like, you know, like, it's, you know, it's the, my kids actually blonde and blue eyes. It's a weird sort of miracle. I, 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 I couldn't change it. And she's flicking. And now all my prayers just turned into, please don't put that finger in your mouth. I'm now a father. And, and, and she, and she just, she, the Lord heard my prayer and she just flicked it in the lobby. And and I, and I say this, I, I say this to you, church, to you and I. We are not the cool kids. We are the booger flippers that God says, that's my kid. And, and I, I don't know if you're gonna see a t-shirt in the love here like God's booger flippers. We're not, but, but that's who we are, undeserving. And the Lord doesn't change. He doesn't point at other kids. He says, yeah, that's them but I've redeemed them, I love them. Not because we've earned it, but because his grace was poured out on us. And we find that that Jesus, as he stayed two more days, there was something greater that was at work. That Jesus wasn't just staying um, in, in Bethany just so that he would punish Lazarus, or no, there was a greater story. Jesus' word is true. He had said that the sickness will not end in death, no, but it is for the glory of God. That his delay was for his glory. That his delay was for, for, for a greater story to be written. And I want to say this 
wherever you're at praying that delay is not denial. That maybe right now we're on our knees, even for me, myself, as a, and my wife and I, we're praying, we're praying for healing for, 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 for my mother-in-law. She's, she's not well, and, and it sometimes feels like, Lord, have you answered that prayer? But we know that delay is not denial. We stay there in faith and we trust that, Lord, you can still heal even in the 11th hour. Lord, you will still heal even if the report that we, Lord, we are trusting you to the very end. I love 2 Peter, it says this in 2 Peter 3 verse nine, it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That our slowness, or we perceive as slow, it's just the Lord that just being on schedule, on time, as he planned. And so we think as we send those prayers, that as he says, the sickness will not end in death. He is not a liar. He did not lie to the disciples, even though Lazarus died. He did not lie to the disciples. The sickness will not end in death. Because you know what? Even though Lazarus died at some point, and people may have said, you know what, Jesus, you've had a great track record. Your, your whole time I've known you, you haven't, you haven't failed once. But hey, listen, even, even I've, you know, everyone gets one. Wrong, but he's not a liar. He is not a liar. He is the alpha and omega. He is the beginning and the end. It is not the end until Jesus says it's the end. That our end is, is our end, but he is beyond time and he is beyond the grave and he is beyond every sickness. He is the name that is above every name that Jesus, does, if it's, it's not over until Jesus says it's over. And that gives me confidence because on the cross, when it comes to death having its reign, Jesus says, it is finished, it's over. He says, I've, I've defeated it. And so we can trust that when he says it's the end, it's the end. But when he hasn't says it's the end, it's not the end. And we can trust that. You know what? But as we look at this passage of scripture, I'm reminded that for Mary and Martha in this story, as we, as we read, and, and maybe this afternoon, as you go home, you can dive into this passage of scripture and see so many things that God is doing in this, in this passage. But I, I love to zone in on the sisters who are grieving, their brother who's sick, who's dying, because he dies. And so we find that in this story, there's something going on that, that, that the things that Jesus has said, even for the disciples who are walking with Jesus, they're looking at, this, at what Jesus has said and what the situation is, and the two don't match. And for us, church, as we've said prayers, as maybe we've prayed for relatives, maybe we've prayed for people that we love who are far from the Lord, Maybe we've prayed for someone that we know is in, the, is in the midst, is the eye of the storm of addiction. 
and it doesn't feel like what Jesus has said. Maybe the Lord put something on your hearts and you are believing that, hey, I believe that there's gonna be a change here. I believe that there will be transformation. I believe that the Lord will answer my prayer. But what happens, church, when we have prayed and we have felt the Lord say something, we felt the Lord speak into something, but the results don't look anything like it. In the world that we live in, we can say death has been defeated. You have overcome the world. We can say that he's the champion of the world. We can say that he's done all these things. But then when we walk outside and we see the devastation of sin, when it looks like we're actually driving in a different direction from the direction that Jesus said we're going on, what do we do with that? How do we reconcile that? What we see with our eyes not being the victory that we sing in this place. We keep taking it to Jesus. We keep trusting that maybe we're seeing in part. Maybe what we're seeing with our own two eyes is not really the reality of heaven's perspective and that there's something deeper going on. I can imagine as Lazarus got worse, some may have doubted Jesus. Some may have doubted his words. Some may have doubted his promise. But you know, sometimes the things we see, they're not exactly as they seem. I'll give you a, a very silly example, but I'll say this. In, in Africa, you know, you know the Super Bowl, my favorite American holiday, the Super Bowl. I'm like right in there, like they evangelized, the Eagles evangelized to my home and they've turned me around. So I, I'm a big fan, but the Super Bowl, you know what happens with the Super Bowl? They, they print the shirts of both winners of the Super Bowl, right? They, they, they print winning shirts for both teams, right? Because they wanna distribute those shirts straight after the Super Bowl. But, but the, lose, the, the team that lost, that has a T-shirt that says they won, where, where do you think those T-shirts go? I can confirm for you today, they're sent to Africa, okay? <laughs> Africa is the place that is reflecting all the wrong Super Bowl winners, all right? Everywhere, every, everywhere you Africa you see kids running around, they're wearing the wrong champion. The, the Buffalo Bills are a dynasty in Zimbabwe. <laughs> Back to back to back to back, they won it. And, but that's not the truth. That's the wrong champion. Like you could see the t-shirt, you could see the message, it was reflected, it was authentic, it had the tags, but it had the wrong champion. And sometimes we're walking and the reality that we see is reflecting the wrong champion. The enemy has been defeated. Death has been overcome. That is the sound of heaven. We're just seeing the wrong champion on the t-shirt. So we stay fixed on Jesus, our eyes on him and him alone. I share this for us to ground ourselves in that truth, church, this morning. You know, as Bob said, there's a, there's a story, and, and I'd, I'd just like to share a little bit of that story this morning. And in my own life, as many of us in this room have witnessed and have seen in our own lives, I've seen the hand of God move mightily and powerfully because of the faithfulness of God that he has, he has done amazing things in our lives because he is good and he is mighty and he is powerful. Now, eight years ago, 10 years ago, I met Bob under a tree. You know, like, just like the story says, came to the United States, 
He, I, he, you know, he's like, hey, stand in church. I became a, one of the admissions partners. It was such an awesome thing that was happening. I was, like I said, like he said, I was 30 under 30. I'd recently gotten married to, to, to the love of my life and, and we're starting our lives. And, 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 and one Friday night, much, much like just, just like this, just preaching in front of a group of, of, of students, I started to feel sick. And in that moment, I didn't know what was going on, but it was so severe that I had to stop preaching. And I actually said, I need to go to the bathroom. I have to, I have to cut this short, end the message abruptly. And after that, for the next two weeks, I, I started to rapidly lose weight and I didn't know what was happening. Went to the doctors, they said, hey, Rob, you, you, you have a stomach bug, just take this medicine. And I kept getting worse and kept getting worse. And then one day I, I just collapsed. In my, on, on my bathroom floor at 2 a.m. And, and my wife looked at me and said, Rob, I have to rush you to the hospital. I couldn't eat or drink. I didn't know what was going on. And the morning off, uh, she took me to the hospital. I'd never been sick my whole life. I'd been a, I was 30 years old. I, 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 I didn't even have health insurance until I got married. And my wife was like, you don't have health insurance. I'm not getting married to someone without health insurance. So I got health insurance. Praise God, right? He who finds a wife finds a good thing. So I, we went to the ER and I, I'm lying there and, and, and I don't know what's going on. And the doctor comes back after drawing blood and he comes in and he says, Rob, you are dying. You have end stage kidney failure. You have less than 10% of your kidney function. Rob, you are dying. And we have to transfer you to the ICU. At the time, Zimbabwe was the second poorest country in the world. The, the, the healthcare system was, was so messed up that literally if you go to hospital, you're just going to die. Just, just lying in a bed. And in that bed, I, 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 I was serving God. I was faithful. I, I was like, Lord, like we were, we were seeing the ministry grow. I had just gotten married. I'm lying in that bed and, and I started to ask God. I said, Lord, why me? Like, why, why would you send this affliction upon me? Why wouldn't you rescue me? Why wouldn't you move on my, my behalf? I, I even thought to myself terrible things, but I said, Lord, like, if, if, you, if, you, if you had run out of a list of people to give kidney failure to, I have names, I could tell you people. <laughs> why, why, why am I in this situation? And I was in a hopeless situation. There was no hope. The insurance ran out, I think, five days in. And, and, and we had no money and no hope. And you know, in those moments, you start to question the goodness of God. It is dark. And I like to say I was faithful like, like Daniel's in the, in the, Daniel in the lion's den, but I was not in that moment. Hopeless. And the Lord led me to a passage of scripture was Isaiah 43. I'd read it over and over again, but I'd, I, but I'd never quite read it the way that I read it while I was in that hospital bed. And Isaiah 43, it says this, it says, it says, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I've redeemed you, I've summoned you by name, you are mine. And verse two says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. 
For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. And I read this, and the Lord reminded me of how verse 2 starts. And he says, what's that first word? When. When you pass through the waters, Rob. See, I'd always read the Bible and thought that passage says, if you pass through the waters. But it was when. In this world, you will have trouble. And the Lord started to, in that moment, he started to shift my heart to understand that this trial that I was in, that I, had, I was the one, I was the one who had, who had the wrong perspective of the trial. But the Lord was like, my promise is not, you will not go through trouble. My promise is that I will be with you. I will never leave nor forsake you. I will be with you in the midst of the storm, in the deep waters, in the fire. Right about that time, as hope was lost, and I was feeling down, and I was feeling like there's no, there's no, there's nothing in sight. I, I remember my phone ringing, and I got this phone call, and it was from, and I heard this, you know, this, this American accent on the other end. Hey, Rob, I heard you were sick. And it was Bob Myers on the other phone from Doyle South, Pennsylvania. I heard you're sick and, and we're praying for you. And I have to let you know when you're sick and you're in hospital and people, you know, say they're praying for you. That's what everyone's saying. You know, it's like little praying, praying hand emojis under your devastating Instagram story. You're like, yeah, come on, I, I, I need more than prayer. But he was like, I'm praying for you. And you'd call the next day, hey Rob, how you doing? We're praying for you. And he started to encourage my heart, but, I, but still there were just prayers. And then one day he said, the Lord will not let me sleep. I love that. When the Lord starts making people lose sleep 7,500 miles away from you, that's an awesome thing. <laughs> I, I cannot sleep. The Lord keeps putting you on my heart. And he's led me to say that we must put legs to our prayers. I remember that line lying in that hospital bed on my cell phone. If he leads us so, we will put legs on these prayers. And that Sunday, Bob put a picture of me in a hospital bed on the screens. And, and he said this, he said, he said, Rob, we put a picture of you sick in hospital and uh, the church the church is responding, not quite that one, but the, the church is responding. And that Sunday in the church, the, the new president of Doylestown Hospital, who had come from Chattanooga, Tennessee, had walked into those doors. And he saw my picture, and he said, the Lord is leading me to this. If, if you're able to bring him over here, I, I will take care of the cost. I will, we will run the tests in our hospital to see how we can help this guy. You know, I didn't know this was happening. I wasn't praying extraordinary prayers in that hospital bed, but the Lord had heard my cry. And that week I got another phone call from Bob and he was much chirpier. If you know Bob, you get to know him. He was like really excited. He was like, Rob, God's doing something awesome. And, and you know, he was like, listen, we're trying to make plans for you guys to come here. You're not going to die in that hospital bed. And you know, when you hear that news, you know, and you've been doubting God, you know, you switch, you go a complete 180. I was like, Lord, I never doubted you. Always knew you had come through. That's my God. I told, I told you. 
and I and and there was hope at the end of the of the end of the tunnel. I could finally see the light. I was like, okay, the Lord is moving. And in that moment, church, I, I was so encouraged. And I knew the Lord now was turning the story, but we came over to the United States a couple of weeks later, and I don't know why, maybe I just watched way too many episodes of ER and House. I just thought I was gonna go into the hospital for two weeks, some doctor with a cane was gonna come in and say, hey, listen, you're allergic to shrimp, go back to Zimbabwe. (laughs) But the doctors ran all these tests. And in the midst of that, as the doctors ran all these tests, they said, Rob, you're, you're actually in kidney failure. You're dying. You're young. You're, you're going to need a kidney transplant. And you know, once again, you're on that mountaintop where finally you're here. And, and you think you, you've now been saved. And now you're back in the valley. Uh, where, where am I going to find a kidney? Where, where am I going to find? I'm uninsured. I don't have any money. And so, but that didn't let up, right? Like, it was like, well, I was like, don't worry about it. We, we're going to pray about it. We're going we're gonna to go to the church and we're going to ask them uh, how much we need. And he started looking. I think he creepishly was sending emails to Nigerian doctors saying, hey, we have your brother over here who needs a kidney transplant. He was like going all out. But, but as we went, we, we needed, we, we found out we needed a quarter of a million dollars. A hospital in Camden, New Jersey said, we will do the surgery at a discounted rate of a quarter of a million dollars. There must be a rule that you cannot say the word discount before you say a quarter of a million dollars. But they said that. And once again, that faith was stirred. And I can tell you that that time in my life, church, I saw the hand of God move. Not only in in grown-ups in the church, I saw children in the church give up their pocket money put it in an envelope and say, I'm giving because I I want you to live. And in that moment, I I remember we got up and the plan was to raise $100,000 over three months and maybe would go, maybe, just maybe would go to other churches and maybe would find the rest of the money. That weekend and the next weekend, the church had raised a quarter of a million dollars. (laughs) Praise God. But we still needed a kidney. And I I don't know if you've ever asked someone for an organ. I don't know. (laughs) Awkward conversation with family members. Hey, remember that time I lent you my iPhone charger? Hey, I need something. (laughs) I was talking to my family, asking them. Some of them were getting tested and being disqualified because they found underlining illnesses in them as well. But there was this young man, and I I want to stress this church, who had come on a missions trip three months before I got sick. His name is Michael Woodsell. He came on a missions trip, and I say this, he was the most mission trip looking young adult I'd ever seen in my life. And he came on this trip with Bob and 12 other college students to Zimbabwe just three months before I got sick. Michael said to me, he said, hey, listen, man, this might sound weird, but I believe that the Lord has sent me on this trip to heal someone. I said, Michael, have you healed someone in Doylestown, Pennsylvania? God done that there? Pretty sure he's not doing it here. In my heart. I said, oh, cheers. And I prayed the most faithless prayer I've ever prayed. Lord, use this young man to heal someone. And under my breath, probably saying, Lord, and... 
please fix his heart so that he doesn't go around telling this to people that he's going to heal people. But a year later, Michael came to me, less than a year later, and he said, Rob, I have been tested. I've gone through the tests, and I am a match, and I am going to give you my kidney. That the Lord would prompt this in a 23-year-old on a missions trip in Africa, both of us not even knowing what God is doing in that moment. Less than a year, less than a year later, August 26, 2014, the doctors wheeled Michael and I into the theaters. And we came out of those operating rooms as what we call each other today, kid brothers. That his organ had been put inside of my body and my life had been saved. I say this, church, to say that God, like in the story with Lazarus, like in our story, like in our journey, like in my life, sometimes God is working something that we don't see even through the trial. That we're in the midst of the storm, that Jesus might be working something that is greater than us. And you know, I say this story and I say it with, with, with an understanding that there's another version of this story that ends with a man dying in a hospital in Zimbabwe who is also faithful and loves the Lord. And I know that story as well. Even though it ended in what we see as darkness and death, that that story is also for his glory. That in the midst of that story, that God was writing something else that we can look forward to and we can say, God, you are good, that you have done something in that story. You've brought people to faith. You find that when you go and you look in the back end of some of these stories, even when we think that Jesus failed, we find that there's a glorious ending to that story. He is working in the healing. He is working in what we think is the failed, the failed ending of the story. And I, and I say this to, to say that Lazarus did die. But Jesus was trying to show that he was more than just a healer. That he came with resurrection life. That he was the one who brings dead things back to life. And as long as we are in Christ... As long as you say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, as long as you know that the story of the cross was that Jesus was nailed to the cross and he gave of himself and he said, I am dying and maybe, maybe, the things that you go through in this world will be difficult. Maybe, maybe those trials will seem like they're, they're pointless. They're not pointless because I've hung on this cross to make those trials have a point. That when you say you're in me, Death is not the champion. But you will be in eternity with me forever. In a place where there are no more tears, where there's no more pain, where there's no more grief, where I reign, where you can worship, where we see him face to face. And if Jesus is the lover of our soul, that is a day that we look forward to. We look forward to heaven, not because we escape hell, but that we're in the presence of Jesus for eternity. Amen. 
So if my story had ended with me, I told my wife this, if I did not make it out of this, I just want to let you know that I still would have won because I would be in the presence of my Savior. I'd be in a place where there's no pain, no suffering, and I'll be in a place where Chick-fil-A is open on a Sunday. Lord, I would be in that place. Amen. And so I say this, church, wherever you may be this morning, I want to remind you that we have a God who is powerful enough to turn, to bring a dead man back to life. The love of God can turn your life around. You might be in this place, and as I was praying this morning, you might be in this place trying to figure out You're discovering, you're like, I'm just coming to church. Maybe someone dragged you in this room and you weren't expecting to hear this accent. You weren't expecting God would bring our paths together in that way so that you would hear this message, you would hear this word. But I want, you to, I want you to know, just like I met some guy under a tree where I thought it was gonna be a pointless meeting in, in Africa 10 years ago, God was like, this is the most important meeting you will ever go to because someday this meeting will save your life and maybe you're in here and it feels like it's pointless and God is saying, there's a reason why you're here and this reason is greater than anything you could ever imagine. Maybe you're doubting the power of God in your life. Maybe you're running from God. This morning, my prayer, my heart has been, I just laid it down to say, this is an appeal. The love of God is chasing after you. It is real. Maybe you've walked away. Maybe your heart's hardened. Come, come back to the feet of Jesus. Come back to the one whose love has the power to transform, whose love can can turn a grave into an Airbnb. Go back to that God, the one who is mighty to save. I want to encourage you this morning as the band comes up and as we sing one one last song and as we fix our eyes back on Jesus, as we look at the power of God in this story. You know, there's one thing about this story, and I didn't get into, into all of it this morning, but I just felt that the Lord was leading me the way that we went and prayed. Just leave it to him to do the work. But there's one thing about Lazarus's story. There's a part where Lazarus comes out of the grave, and he's all bound, and he's got all these grave clothes on him. When Jesus says something, he says, he says, remove the grave clothes. Re- remove, remove the grave clothes. And for some of you maybe in this room this morning, you're in a place where you're coming, you're alive. Jesus has brought you back to life. But you have not removed the things that you are wearing when you are still in that place of death. Now, this morning I... I just feel that for some of us, you know exactly what it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's a relationship or a thing that you do or a thing that you used to do and you're trying to walk with the Lord and the Lord is saying, get rid of that stuff that was in the dead place. You're alive now. Remove the grave clothes. Now I want to pray for you specifically. Father, I just pray 
For those in this room, Lord, that are far, that are, that, are, that, that, that are walking with you, Lord, they just started, they just seen the light right now, Father God, but they're still bound in the grave clothes, Lord. I just pray right now, Lord, that you would start by your spirit, Lord, that you would put them in this place, in this community, this church, for brothers and sisters to come around them, Lord, and start to unravel and remove those grave clothes, Lord, that they would become unbound, that they would be free, Lord, that they would truly find freedom, Lord, that they would truly say who the sun sets free is free indeed. Father, I pray for that new life, Lord, to not be hindered by the old life, by the old grave clothes. And Father, I pray for this place. I pray for this church, Lord, as you breathe new life into it, Lord, as you continue, Lord, to lead them on the path, Lord, the foundations that you've set. But Father, as you open up a new mission field, as you make them come, come to the fullness of life that you have for CLC. Father, I just pray, Lord, that we would rid ourselves of the old stuff. I pray for myself as well, Lord, that if there's any old stuff in my own heart, Father, I pray that you would remove it, Lord, so that we may be free in you and that we may chase after you with nothing stopping us, Lord, for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand with us, church. In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came a word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt Praise the
bride Till that stone was moved for good For the Lamb had conquered death And the dead rose from their tombs And the angels stood in awe For the souls of all who come To the Father are restored And the treasures of born Who 